0: Welcome to Dream Nation Love, I'm your host, Yulia, and I'd love for you to check out dreamnation.io, that's my website, and you can learn more about the show, and also check out my creative agency while you're there as well. Also, I have a really great little store set up there, and you can check out a lot of beanies, a lot of hoodies, a lot of really great stuff that goes towards making the show possible. And today, I have a really amazing guest on the show. His name is Kevin Arbouray. Kevin started his career as a stuntman and a martial arts choreographer. He's a director, writer, producer, and the former vice president of Lee Daniels Entertainment. Lee Daniels produced the Oscar-winning Monsters Ball starring Halle Berry and The Woodsman starring Kevin Bacon. Kevin and his creative partner Larry Strong directed the viral video smash I Got a Crush on Obama. That's been viewed more than 100 million times worldwide. As a director, Kevin has focused on expanding the idea of what diversity in filmmaking really means. Kevin is a friend, and I really enjoyed sitting down with him and having this discussion. Enjoy the show. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I know we've been friends, uh, like online friends, and did we ever meet in the real world? I think I invited you to my party, and you never showed up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, it was so hard, you know, especially with the kids. Yeah. Like, it's just this, and then we have this people in common, like Patrick and Hunter.
0: Yeah, well, I was like I was also looking that you also know Shamika Cotton, who's a friend of mine. She was in the stream film that you directed with Whoopi Goldberg. She played the young Whoopi Book. Oh, uh, Shamika! Oh, yes! yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, hell yeah, 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 yeah.
0: I love Shamika. I think she's so talented. Like, I don't know why she's not blowing up, like, ridiculously blowing up, because she has more talent in, like, her tiny finger like than like all of Hollywood combined she is I just love watching her every time she's on screen yeah it's just like
1: it's weird like when I worked with her she was just coming off of the wire mm -hmm. where she had a nice recurring you know role and like literally I mean her agents everything she was just poised for something big but it just never happened
0: we met in an acting class and I would always like just like watch her and I was like she's really talented like you can tell Mm -hmm. who has star quality and she just has like she has talent and like star power I
1: but, 100% agree. Yeah, I
0: love her. Yeah, she's great. But yeah, so I normally do a format to my podcast where I kind of like open up by asking people about their dreams and then I kind of go into their work. And then mm-hmm. I wrap up by asking what their dream is as an adult. And I think what I'm going to do right now is kind of like do a little segue of asking you about your dream growing up as a kid and then kind of like segue sure. into why we decided to do this podcast. We were in a group. (laughs) I just got blocked Mm -hmm. on it. (laughs) But uh, we're in a mutual group online, which is about just like people sharing stuff about film. We started talking about Green Book and we had this whole entire discussion out of it. And it kind of led to this podcast. And that was just so interesting. And then I started doing more research actually about Green Book. And I saw the more info that I had no idea on it because I didn't know like any of the backstory on it. So I did like so much more research after afterwards. I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know anything about this. Ah, I just kind of like went in and went out. Like I just kind of like went in. I was like, oh, it's Christmas time. I'm just going to go see this movie. So it was really interesting, which ties back into like diversity in film. And that's why we're talking. But I'll just open up by asking you, you know, what was your dream as a kid?
1: Honestly, it, it's, it's this, you know, uh, I came from a family that, you know, movies were a big part of our household. Like we watched a lot of stuff. My dad exposed me to so many movies as a kid. And you know, this is the eighties. So there wasn't like, there was, there was no, like, is this appropriate for a five, six year old <laughs> that, that that never, you know, like I was watching the first Terminator and you know, all that stuff, mm-hmm. different world. But honestly, the idea of being a filmmaker was so foreign. I mean, if I had told my parents I wanted to become an astronaut, that would have been more realistic than a filmmaker, you know. But my brother, who is six years older than me, he started going to film school. And I was like, that's a thing? You can go to film school? Like, it, it was just, you know, it was crazy that you could do that. So when I saw that it was a possibility and you didn't have to be, you know, born into it, which is kind of what I thought, like if you're not born in like royalty, if you're not born into a Spielberg or a Scorsese or Nichols or Nora Ephron family, you couldn't make a film, you know, but when I saw it was possible, that's when everything changed. So yeah, right, my dream was to become a filmmaker and I'm doing it now
0: you are your resume is really impressive i was just kind of like looking at it right to like fill myself in on a few other things because i was like oh i know what you did but i was like oh let me see and you just have a really big body of work i never even realized that you even did the obama girl video which was like a humongous viral fit like i did not know that that's amazing
1: it was so big and so shocking it's a weird thing to talk about because it's hard not to, well, okay, put it this way. It, it came about because I answered, this is 2007, right? So just like the setting of the scene, this is 2007. Obama was not even a Democratic nominee. It, it was still that early and no one, and I mean no one knew who he was, but there was a guy named Ben Rellis who was in advertising who thought it would be funny to make like a music video about the black candidate. Not in a provocative whatever, it was just like, Oh, he has kind of a funny name, and it's the only black dude. Let's do a song about him. And when he played me the song, I was like, oh, you know what? We should make it look like a really cheesy R&B <laughs> video. Like this really, <laughs> really cheesy. And that's what we did. And, you know, shot the thing, and then I edited it along with, you know, Larry Strong. And we just gave it to him. I was like, oh, here you go. That was, you know, pretty fucking weird. But, you know, here's the video. Do what you will. And I remember... Sitting in the movie theater, I was watching a movie called Stardust, which is fucking terrible. And uh, I get a call, and he's like, hey, you know, this ABC Chicago affiliate wants to do a quick interview. Like, are you anywhere near my office? And I just happened to be, I was like, oh, sure. So I ran, I left the movie, thank God, and I ran over (laughs) to his office, and we did this, like, video interview with some ABC Chicago affiliate. And I was like, wow, that was really cool. That was such an interesting thing. The next morning... When I wake up, it was everywhere, everywhere, MSNBC, Fox, CNN. I mean, everywhere. It was so crazy. And then I ended up doing like a lot of interviews for it. But this is where it gets kind of heady is that, you know, no one knew who who he was until that video. And then it just got more and more popular because of that video. I mean, David Axelrod, who was running his campaign, told us like that video is what changed everything for them. And that's kind of a crazy thing to say. It it, it definitely sounds like a kind of a Kanye West (laughs) (laughs) sort of way to look at history. Like, if it wasn't for me, we wouldn't (laughs) have (laughs) had (laughs) Obama. But in reality, I mean, when I talk about the impact, I mean, the women on The View singing the song, every morning show, Jay Leno putting it in, in his monologue, and probably the most crazy was like Saturday Night Live, Doing a parody of it. I mean, that was and for me, because comedy was such a big thing in my life, for SNL to do a parody of something that I created was crazy. And then ended up getting invited to every debate. Like the, you know, the Democratic <laughs> debate the invited came down, Republican debate, the inviters came down. Pretty much every single candidate wanted us to do a video for them, except for this is back then, yeah, this is 2007 except for Joe Biden and except for Ron Paul. Those oh, were the only two God. that were like, get the fuck away from me with your weird video, <laughs> um, especially Ron Paul. He wanted nothing to do with it. But everyone else was like, yeah, 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 let's do it. Let's do it, everyone. So it was weird. It, it was very weird, but it was also kind of ahead of its time because YouTube and those type of views, you could, there was no monetization of it. There was no real capitalization of it. The what excited people about going viral was very different and that was an issue because if videos looked too slick especially back then it would not go viral this just feels like it was made by a company so you had to make videos look kind of cheesy and weird and homemade <laughs> do something which doesn't inspire a studio or a network that you can even do anything so it was very weird so like i had this tremendous popularity but it was you could not parlay it into everything, to anything i mean that year the two biggest videos was mine and Chocolate Rain. You remember Chocolate Rain?
0: Yes, I remember yeah. Chocolate Rain. Yes. Those
1: two big videos. And, you know, there was no way to capitalize on it. Versus if it was now, forget about it. You know, Chocolate Rain would be running Warner Brothers right now if, if you did it in 2019.
0: Oh, my God. But you know what? We need more networks. And that's another reason I created Dream Nation. Because eventually the goal for Dream Nation is to, is to start up a production company and tell the stories of diverse people. But, like, yeah. include actually diverse people. So, you know, it'd be amazing to like to do a Reese Witherspoon is doing what Oprah is doing and just like get people together and just like hire and have friends, hire like talented people like that already happens in Hollywood. Right. That's already that's already like white men hiring white men. So it's like, well, why doesn't that exist for like women and diversity? There's already that for women, but it's still a very like white female and I I say that as a white female, but then again, I'm like Russian Jewish, and I'm like I've lived everywhere, so I'm like, well, people are like, you are well, you white? And I'm like, well, we left Russia because we're Jewish. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're like, I'm I look white, but I'm Jewish, so it's complicated. It's like
1: it's very complicated. It's very complicated. It's very, very complicated. So, people don't realize like it's we we are in an unfortunate time when things tend to be very binary, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's very easy, and it's actually. Like, it's not frowned upon. It's very easy to make white men the devil, right? Mm-hmm. It's very, you can just say, like, it's because of them, it's because of them. And it's, it's, it's very this or that. And that's kind of not the reality. The reality is that people tend to hire people that look like them, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so you have to look at the intent. And then the uncomfortable reality is that, in actuality, white women hire men of color at way less rates than white men. Mm-hmm. so it is it is like for lifetime, the network itself, which is run almost entirely by white women you're not going to find a black producer a black you know director you're not going to find that it's a tough thing, but you know, but you look at you know lifetime, which is supposed to be a beacon for inclusion and diversity because you know it definitely leans or not even leans it's really for women, but there's also the same network that will do. Uh, the movie about the Colombian drug lord and cast Catherine Zeta-Jones and paint her face brown. Yeah. Like, that happened last year. This is not 1997, 1998. This happened last year Mm. among supposedly very progressive white women. Right. And they did not think twice about painting her face. So these things become, these conversations, it's easy to do bumper stickers and taglines online and make people the scapegoat, but... You know, I was in Austin Film Festival and Nancy Myers was, you know, one of the um, panelists. And I asked, you know, we were talking about, again, everyone's always talking about inclusion and diversity. And I told her, I was like, Nancy, I, you know, I appreciate you being here, but over your 30 year career, you have never cast a person of color as a lead or even supporting. Much worse, she's only had two people of color in her films ever, and one was a waiter and the other was a door person.
0: Oh my God.
1: So, no. No. you know what I mean. And if you look at the careers of, with the, I would say with the notable exception with maybe Catherine Bigelow, but if you look at Patty Jenkins, Mimi Leader, uh, like I said, you know all these Nicole Hollisenter, who I love as a director, all these female directors, they do not hire people of color. They, they just don't. You know that that is not. You know I uh, do you know that show um, Friends from College.
0: Mm, sounds familiar. Sounds it's on familiar.
1: Netflix. It's from Nicholas Stoller. Mm-hmm. It, it stars keegan Michael Key and Fred Savage, and you know it's, it's great. And it's Colby Smolders. you know, it's a, it's a funny show. It's on its second season just came out. There's no black women on the show. There's you know Michael Key. He's you know he's uh, he's <laughs> he's the octoroon on, on the show. But past that, it is a, Nic- Nicholas Stoller has created a universe in which black women do not exist in New York.
0: Oh, it's like friends. You mean it's exactly yes. like friends.
1: It's exactly like friends, exactly <laughs> like you know, and but by the way, what we have to realize is that there's I don't think Nancy Myers and I don't think Nicola Stoller and I don't think Nicole Hoff Center sit down and make a concerted effort not to hire people of color. That that's that, that's really not the, the case. The reality is just that in their world, they don't have meaningful relationships. Which is why when you look at the two big notable exceptions, Ellen Pompeo and David Bowie, they had black uh, significant others. Mm -hmm. David Bowie put them on and Ellen Pompeo was married to a music executive. So they look at race in a way that is like, oh, yeah, that's the reality. I mean, there's an interview on MTV from the early 80s of David Bowie asking the interviewer, why don't you have black artists on this network? Mm-hmm. Like I see this network, I see all the movies that they're, they're contributing, and you don't have them. This is in the '80s. Like that's that is that, that's a significant because he had a significant relationship with a person of color, and that will always be the difference. That is why, in major cities, you talk about like the biggest major cities, they are almost always liberal. Always, any any you look at the state, and then you take the major city. The major city is liberal because that city has a diverse group of people. And when you interact in a meaningful way with a diverse group of people, you understand where they're coming from. It's not alchemy, it's just, that's just the, the reality. of you. If you interact with people other than that, that, excuse me, that don't look like you, you become a, a more well-rounded individual.
0: It's true, and you know what? I was just talking with Nikki Agarwal on my last podcast And we're talking about the competition of women on women. So Mm. We were talking about women on women and it's just that like it comes from the Neolithic era when we just settled from like roaming and then we went to farming and then these women had to like cling to men for survival and then they were just like pitted to everyone. So once they claw their way to the table, they're only conscious about their own survival. It's like Mm. they don't even know what's out there and it's such a crazy issue that goes so far back because they're Mm -hmm. so busy fighting for their own survival that they're like oblivious to everything else and once Mm. they get to that table they're like scared to share. it's the scarcity mindset Mm -hmm. but then like it also comes from this is so complicated right because it comes from women not venturing beyond their social circles or beyond their groups right because and, and friendships, right? Like, who are you friends with? And how did you start out? And are you open to meeting people? And what circles do you hang out in? Right. And what I'm interested in, in with Dream Nation is just literally bringing people together. Because my background is really diverse and I have so many different like different friends and I never realized how like global my view was. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, all my friends have global views, right? Like, we all share the same mindset. Why doesn't the rest of the world share this mindset and how mm. do we, how do we open them up? Right. Through discussions. Like what, well, maybe they can't like, I don't know. Like I want to tune people into like different frequencies. Right.
1: Mm.
0: So I'm like, how can I, how can I flip frequencies? How can I tune people in? How can I make people aware of things? If they can't go to a party, if they can't attend, if they can't, if somebody is isolated in a rural town, right. Like how can I open up their mind a little bit? Because right. people want yeah. it. They want it, but they just might not be aware.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's, there's, there's a thing. I mean, when you talk about uh, the scarcity complex, you know, it is true It's true with women and it was true with black people as well. Because, and, but that is very specific to the American culture, right? So, yes. for yes. example, you will see Jewish people, Israelis, Indian, Korean, Chinese, they all help each other. Because they're all from the same culture. They all look like each other. And for them, it's, hey, if, you know, Muhammad does great, then I will do great. Mm-hmm. But in America, for women and black people specifically, it was, there was one slot. And if you don't get that slot, you're out of luck. And that's that's the business that I grew up in. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you. So when I, I was coming I think we're the same
0: up... age. I really think we're the same age. Are we? Yeah. Oh I'm, you don't turning, look it. I'm turning
1: 40 in April. Oh, wow. Okay. I uh, was two years old. I'm turning 42 in May.
0: Yeah, we're in the same age.
1: Oh, you look super young. But I, I literally thought you were like 29.
0: No, thank um, you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but th- th- that was such a big thing. It's like, if you, you know, if, there, if you don't have that one slot, if you're not the black director, or if you're not the black producer, the black writer, you're just out of luck. Now, that has changed dramatically, uh, uh, the, I would say, in the last four, three to four years where we have seen that the bigger the marketplace, the bigger the opportunity. And, and that's kind of expanded uh, even to like the, just, just the market in general. I mean, you look at the success of movies, Fast and the Furious, and you, know, you, can, you can discuss the quality of these movies, that and Aquaman, but Aquaman just passed a billion dollars. Fast and Furious is a billion dollar franchise. And those movies are not led by white people. Those movies are, you know, uh, led by, you know, people of color. Black Panther, same thing. It's it, it it's because that is, that marketplace is not only people of color want to see these movies, but white people want to see them as well. And then you look at a movie like Tully. Did you see the movie, Tully?
0: No, I haven't.
1: So it, it, guess what? Exactly. Tully is actually, it actually is a good movie. I'm mm-hmm. um, starring Charlize Theron, directed by Jason Reitman. Okay, so we're talking about, uh, uh, an Oscar winner, Charlize Theron, uh, Jason Reitman, who's been nominated twice for Best Director Oscar. And that movie bombed because ultimately it was a very specific. This is a, a white woman in her 40s dealing with ha- just having a baby. There's no black people in the movie, really. And in America, it's just like, well, we need more. And maybe it's not even something that people are verbalizing. Like, I don't, I don't think there is a, a large vocal... Uh, majority of our people saying like hey we won't watch these movies unless there's you know people of color in it but that's just the way the market shifts you know mm-hmm. uh, and the market see the market and you, you know this maybe a little bit better than i but the market is very interesting because it 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 really it's the real truth teller right so i actually started in fashion believe it or not before i even gotten to film or television i was a model booker so, uh, you know, I was an agent for models. So I, I was dealing only with models, dealing with, you know, all the features, editors, and uh, designers, whatever. So in America, women control 80% of the market, right? Just for, for In in any industry, 80% of the market. In fashion, you can feel comfortable saying like 99.9% of the market, right? So you look at now our social issues. We look, we look at, you know, uh, people talking about unrealistic body expectations, which I think just in general is, is very misunderstood. And I think there's a big difference between putting out a Photoshop image versus uh, a woman who works hard at her body. So that's a whole other subject. Um, <laughs> it, you is, it, it is, it is.
0: <laughs>
1: when you look at that, you know, the issues people have with what women are presented and Kim Kardashian, whatever, these magazines, these make, whatever, they're not bought by men. They're bought by women. So it's like, There is the messaging of like, hey, we need to stop uh, uh, showing women in a certain certain way. That's not not, uh, uh, um, a product of men. It's a product of women by far. I've dealt with maybe two men in, in the fashion industry. It is largely, largely run by women. So that becomes one of those things where it's like, well, this is the reality of the situation. We know that there's an issue but the culprit isn't who you think it is. So tying it back to the scarcity complex, you know, yes, there was very little opportunities for people of color, but at the same time, we're also guilty of eating our our own. You know, it was so competitive and it was just like, man, I got to kill that dude because Mm -hmm. I, I won't get my shot, you know? Whereas if we learned much earlier on to work together, we probably could have had this shift much earlier.
0: I think the shift is slowly happening, and I think people are slowly starting to get it. But I think it's going to take another probably ten or twenty years to fully get there. If we get there, mm. it's like
1: mm. I actually think much shorter. I think much much shorter because that's kind of how the you know the way that information has become available. Issues that would have taken 20, 10 to twenty years, they have accelerated to a point that it's like it's like whiplash. <laughs> that's why sometimes we're like within. A year's time, within the same year, you're going to have people going, thank God we are shedding light on the injustices of this community or workplace or whatever. And within that same year, it gets so crazy. You'll have the same people go, whoa, slow down. This is insane. We're, We're attacking everyone. This is crazy within the year because it happens so quickly that's it's true. unbelievable that's true it's Ke- unbelievable.
0: Kevin Spacey's career is over in a year that's true after years yeah, yeah. after years just like that you know what? I was just watching Seth MacFarlane's jokes from like hosting the Oscars a while back mm-hmm. this was before Cosby got brought up on charges and this was in like 2016 I think it was right before Hannibal Buress like brought it to light but even Seth MacFarlane was like hey nobody wants to have drinks with Bill Cosby after work and I was right. like, I was like, wait, what? What?
1: <laughs> I was like, did I? <laughs>
0: but yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, I think it is technology that's accelerating it. For example, the podcast, right? Like yeah. I'm literally trying to amplify consciousness on the planet with sound frequencies and discussions. You know, I'm yeah. like doing whatever I can in this in this tiny world. You know, we initially hopped on the call. I want to get back to all your projects, too, because I can go and babble, uh, like, forever because (laughs) I'm really good at that. I really want to keep it focused on your projects. And, uh, you know, we hopped on a call because you were telling me that you were working on a TV script adaptation about the life of uh, Bumpy Johnson, who I didn't Mm -hmm. know anything about. And I was surprised because I knew about Gotti. I knew about Lucky Luciano. And I was like, how do I not know anything about Bumpy Johnson? So we started this discussion, which led to the bigger discussion about Green Book, which I think was really fascinating. So I'd love to talk to you about your Bumpy project and what your experience was, because this was an entire conversation basically focused on how the stories of African-American heroes and legends mm-hmm. are usually co-opted by usually white male screenwriters and producers and, mm-hmm. uh, and told. Without actually doing due diligence, and I didn't right. realize that even with with Green Book, nobody really got in touch with Doctor Shirley's family.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was and like, that's been the What? Same thing with Bobby Johnson.
0: I was like, Wait, they released the movie, and then the family was like, Wait, wait a minute, you made a movie about Doctor Shirley, and I was like, Wait, Mahershala Ali had to actually call the family and apologize for not. Mm-hmm but that's like a weird position as an actor. You get a script as an actor and you're like, this is what I'm going to do. Some actors right. research the part, you know, they go that crazy, but others are like, okay, I have a bunch of projects working on, like I'm really busy. I'm just going to stick to the script and listen to the director. You know, yeah. it's a very fine line because it's not like you can pick up the phone and go around the director <laughs> and just make some <laughs> phone calls to the family and like make your own decisions when somebody is paying you it's very complicated
1: yeah well here's well here's uh, here's something that's even scary this is scary because more likely than not I'm not in the room so I I can't say this definitely happened but more likely than not at some point Mahersha Ali said hey can I talk to Mm -hmm. so-and-so because every actor wants to do that bit of research and it didn't happen so that's when you have to look hey There was a concerted effort, you know, because I, you know, listen, I was vice president of Lee Daniels Entertainment, so I know about production and producing. So I know at some point they realized, hey, we have to make sure that we have we have optioned this book. This is the book that we have optioned. This is what we have legal rights to. And the moment our actor talks to the family, it opens it up to other information sources, other liability so there more than likely was a concerted effort to exclude Dr. Shelley's family. So that's how, cra- that's how crazy it is because before the shot a, a single frame, it was about, this is the story we're doing. We're going to co-opt this person's life and we are not going to verify a thing. And that's kind of what we I'm going through right now with Bumpy Johnson. You know, Bumpy Johnson was one of the most Amazing American figures, right? And what I loved about the story, now the story that I'm telling is Bumpy Johnson in the 30s. And, and why that's so important is because in Harlem in the 30s, and this is something we never get to see, and, and I'll, I'll kind of get into why, but in the Harlem in the 30s, we're talking about the Harlem Renaissance, right? Now, me personally as a filmmaker, I, I'm actually I'm just totally, completely disinterested. And anywhere movies or television shows about the black struggle like we get it you know what i mean like we've gotten every piece of it and we forget that there were communities like black wall street where black millionaires were being created and you don't get to see the harlem renaissance when as the great depression was happening in harlem black people were getting rich They were thriving thriving because much like Uh, There was bootleggers for white people who made tons of money that way. There was something called the numbers in Harlem, you know, it's like a lotto system. That's the best way to think about it. Um, it was creating a system of millionaires and really propping up this community, you know. So there's so many stories, so many interesting things there. The TV show that I have, the surviving member of Bumpy Johnson, great, his great grandson, Anthony Johnson, is executive producer. We have the rights to Bumpy's wife's book. His wife's book, right?
0: She published it when she was 93. I was. 93. 93 and she. I love that she like, called everybody out on it. She was like, I have de- I don't have dementia. I don't have Alzheimer's. I remember exactly what happened. And the guy who took over, she was like, yeah, he didn't hold him in his arms when he died. He wasn't even nowhere near. He thought, yeah,
1: I'm frankly dead. whole And here's the funny thing. There is the same person at the forefront of all of this. So in 94, there was a movie called Hoodlum yes. about Paul Johnson written by Chris Brancato. American Gangster, deals with deals of Frank Lucas and that fake relationship with Bumpy Johnson, was written by Chris Brancato. This new Bumpy show, The Godfather of Harlem, that is going to be on Epics, uh, starring Forrest Whitaker, created by Chris Brancato. Yep. And in every single one of these, he has not done the due diligence or talked to anyone. Even Narcos, but, which is a show I like, by the way.
0: And Narcos but- Mexico. I think he did Narcos Mexico, too, correct?
1: I mean, he has the EP credit, but technically he was not the showrunner at that point.
0: Mm-hmm. And wait, was that, that was the one where the location scout got killed, correct?
1: He was murdered, yeah, because, you know, because no one on the production was like, hey, this is a part of Mexico you can't be in, oh. where, where it's like, it's just a location guys, you You're not doing a documentary. Oh, my God. Shoot, shoot the fucking thing in Arizona. You know, you know what I mean? Like, this, this is on New Mexico. Mm-hmm. This is crazy that you just blindly go into this territory without knowing the deal. But, I mean, and this is, and obviously that's an extraordinary circumstance. I'm not saying that the more people don't actually do the due diligence, people are going to die. But it is a symptom of just taking incredible stories, starring people of color, and doing them. And the problem is, when people like that, they do these stories, that's it. There's no, it's not like, you know, in a given year you can say, Multiple stories about Winston Churchill or multiple stories about, you know, uh, the Iron Lady, or whomever or the Queen. You're going to get a million Queen and Queen Elizabeth. How many Queen Elizabeths have there been? Right. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get multiple Bumpy Johnson TV shows. You're not going to get multiple. You know what I mean? The, the, you exhaust the material. So when it's time to do it the right way, it's like, oh, we, well, there, was, there was just a, a thing just the other day that came out about whatever, you know, that's the problem. That's the problem. And a lot of these projects miss the nuance of these stories and what makes it—the fact that Chris Brancato's Godfather of Harlem was taken place during the 60s says everything about what's wrong with that production. Because Bumpy, Bumpy Johnson in the 30s and what he did, it all started there. That's the amazing part, right? Well,
0: he was working for Stephanie St. Clair, known as Madame St. Clair, who I researched about while finding Bumpy. And her story blew me away. Like, first, she oh, has yeah. so much style. Like, she's just such a captivating figure. And then if you just do a basic wiki search on Stephanie St. Clair, her story is,
1: it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. T- t- completely Unbelievable. unbelievable. She and was so amazing. The, so amazing. And in the pilot script that you know, I wrote, the dynamic between Bumpy Johnson, uh, you know, the Queen, Madame Sinclair, and Doug Schultz at the time was incredible. Nothing like that had ever happened in American history then or since. It is such an incredible story. And how she's dealt with—I mean, I, I sound like I'm tooting my own horn because I, you know, I wrote the fucking thing. But, but, do it, do it. But it is a thing where the, the not a lot of people have read it because you know we're dealing with this issue now with this other show. But the people who have read it have been like, "Holy shit!" Mm-hmm. And it's also one of those things where it's very obviously written by a black person. I mean, there are so many scripts. Like, you know, I perused, the, you know, the Green Book script. And again, very obviously written by a white person. The thing with Green Book is when you look at it in the context, I mean, I get that it's a crowd pleaser. In fact, if I saw that in the 80s, I mean, that's some of the movies that we watched as a kid. I'd be like, yeah, Green Book! I would have really dug it. But as an adult male, watching a scene with Viggo Mortensen teaching Mahershala Ali how to eat fried chicken is insane. That, that's like the craziest scene <laughs> when
0: i when i saw it i thought it was a product placement for kentucky fried chicken that was because i was like well this i like it was christmas and i really enjoyed the movie i like the cinematography but then like there were a few parts where i was like huh and i was like well this is so awkward it must be a product placement and i'm like well they have vigo eating a lot through the movie like maybe it's just weird and i was like well i and then I was like, well, they made Dr. Shirley gay. And I'm like, well, was he really gay? And is it to accentuate the fact that he was just different and didn't fit in? Because he was like, I'm not black. I'm not white. What am I? Like, I was like, is this just, I, I, it was just there. And it was just so awkward.
1: It's so awkward. And that, what you just said is the huge problem is that white people tend to look at black people as a monolith, Right that there is only one version of a black person. There are times, and again, I'm not talking about 20 years ago, right now, where I can be on the phone with someone and they'll be like, oh wow, you sounded white on the phone. Because to them, black people only say and do one thing. So when you have a scene written by a white person it's like hey, little Richard, you love the you, you don't know this music and this fried chicken and <laughs> oh and, and and having the black guy in the rain. I don't know who I am. What the fuck? There are just like white people, a tremendous amount of differences. Of by the way, I mean you look at America. The difference between a black person with Jamaican roots, a black person with Haitian roots, a black person with African roots, a black person with just purely Southern roots—they're all very different. We have different cultures. We have different ways that we talk. We have different. It's completely. There's a black nerd culture. There's. I mean, like, what? What in the world is going on in that movie? And that movie is is because they. Because to them, they think there's only one kind. You know. Here's the other. I mean, I'm working on a a script now. I can't talk about it yet. But it's really huge producer attached and actually a really huge uh, actor. So it's got. It's really really great project. It's also historical. It's like you know how how black people are depicted and their arcs, there is such a big difference. And here's, here's two examples of movies, right? But we're gonna use Black Panther and then we're gonna use a movie like Hidden Figures. So Black Panther, huge success. Yes, it's a comic book movie. But one of the reasons why it was so successful and why it was so resonant with black people is because it had a complex character arc in which the hero, right, his ideology was Wakanda first, screw everyone else and the villain his ideology was you have all these resources you have to help people that look like us and the amazing thing about the end of black panther the hero adopts the villain's ideology that's pretty amazing and that's probably and that's the only time you're going to get a story like that and that's why it was it's obviously written by a black person because that is a nuanced way Mm -hmm. to look at it right because you can see both sides but the reality was he took the villain's ideology. That's incredible. You take a movie like Hidden Figures, again, crowd-pleasing movie, written by a white woman, right? The big difference there is, did you see Hidden Figures?
0: Oh, I loved Hidden <laughs> Figures. Yeah. I loved oh. it, yes.
1: So with Hidden Figures, now let's think about this. The main character, Tarazi P. Henson, her character had no arc. And what I mean is, And from the beginning of the movie to the end, she did not change. She was always Mm -hmm. presented as a perfect person. Mm -hmm. And it was the world around her that had to change. That is not a good structure. That's not a good good character, right? Mm -hmm. Because all characters must have an arc. And what you tend to have with movies like that, written by white people, it is the angelic, put-upon black person in the world that's trying to destroy them. And eventually, their goodness will change the people around them.
0: That Wow, you just blew my mind. <laughs> you just blew my mind, right? Well, as a woman, I'm watching it and I'm like, yes, female scientists. Yes, women of color. Yes, like I identify with this. And I think sometimes I personally suspend my disbelief because I'm like, okay, this is a story and this is something new. Right. So like I'm already sold on it. I'm like, okay, I, like I'm going to buy it before it's even sold. Like bought it. I like yeah. this, and you know, I think that's that's so true. It's a different way to look at movies, right? Like, because it's the classic storytelling arc. Yes, yeah. that's story one hundred and one. Storytelling one hundred and one.
1: It's storytelling one hundred and one, and it almost never happens in movies starring black people or written by white people. They they have no arcs. They are angels from start to finish. And that's a problem. That, that's 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 a, that's a, that's, the, that's the huge problem. So. Yeah, I, I mean, and that's something that we need to change. And, and that's why, you know, I'm not going after someone like, Prince, you know, Broncado, But, you know, number one, the actually Anthony Johnson, the great grandson of Bumpy Johnson, went to the set because, you know, they're filming The Godfather Problem Now and talked with Forrest Whitaker. And Forrest Whitaker confirmed that he is using the book as his inspiration. Now, obviously, that causes a lot of legal issues for Christopher Mercado because, you know, we have the right to that book, you know, but. You know, it's not it's not a takedown. It's hey, you're you're telling an important story that is making it harder for people like us to tell the right way. You know, and that that is a huge problem. You know, so that's so. And I don't. And here's the thing: I don't believe that you have to be from a certain place to write about a certain place. I don't believe that you have to be. You know, a woman can't write for a man. A man can write for a woman. A white person. No, no, no. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if you're not, it's apparent when people are doing the work and when they are not. And that's kind of how we started this conversation. The big difference between someone like, uh, that's a good example, like a Sarah like Parker, right? You know, I'm just, I don't know why I'm using her as an example. No, Lena Dunham is a better example because we, we now see how problematic her views are. For someone who considers herself an extremely progressive person and we see all the issues there Versus again, like an Elo Pompeo who really gets it and is doing the work, you know uh, there's, there's reasons why like people are like, "Hey, you have to show girls again, taking place in New York, and black people don 't exist to a meaningful degree like what's what 's happening there like what is happening you know so yeah, it, it, it just comes down to like we 've got it we 've got to take the time to understand I think everything is called cult- everything in this world is culture, and i can 't stress that enough, and I had a conversation the other day with a friend, I, I, I like her very much. And she was kind of making the point, she was saying she apologizes a lot. She was like, yeah, I apologize a lot. That is something that women are, are um, taught to do, to apologize a lot. And I was making the point, I was like, sure, but that, that's more of a culture thing. Because if you look at the Chinese woman, the, there, there are no apologies in China. We'll run you right over. That's, that's, culturally, that's <laughs> not a thing. Versus a Japanese person, man or a woman, you can't walk five feet without hearing. I'm sorry, it's it's a culture thing. So trying to explain to her that she's an Upper East Side uh, Jewish woman, she wants to say that there's no difference between her and a black woman. And I now intellectually I know what she's saying. She's she's saying, hey, we're women, one for all, you know, all for one. I get that, but what always happens when you think that way? Black people get left in the dust, especially black women. More, more than anyone, black women are always getting the short end of the stick, right? Mm-hmm. Because for someone like my friend, hey, it's a win. There's, you know, lifetime is run by women. And the black woman's like, by white women. There's no place for us. What are you talking about? That's a win for you. Whereas a white woman in America... Has this weird uh, dichotomy of being a woman, which is a put as a gender, is someone who is oppressed, right? We know that for a fact. But then you have their whiteness, where they can also achieve levels of power, because everything is power. I I mean, and and that's you know, we started that we're talking about white women being the white men being the scapegoat. The issue is power. The issue is unchecked power, right? Because that's how because we can go to every country that is to be run by a woman. Could be run by a brown person, be run whatever, and when it corruption is corruption, right? It's, it's not like corruption doesn't exist in Africa. It doesn't, it's not like corruption is in Venezuela. You know, we we've had corruption with you know Margaret Thatcher. It's 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 unchecked power, right? So unless we get specific about things, we're always going to be somewhat divided because it's just so easy to say that's the culprit, this is the enemy, these are the people left, right, whatever. Uh, and it has nothing to do with real life. Nothing.
0: Right. Oh, that's like another discussion in its own. I feel like this podcast can be broken into like <laughs> 15 different things, you know, because all the, you can write a thesis on each one of these because these okay. are like huge topics that need dissection. And I don't think a lot of people dissect them enough. Mm-hmm. I think people kind of get together and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's a problem. And then they will talk about it. Like, maybe for like a few paragraphs in an article and then like some discussion happens in the comments, right? Everything always happens mm-hmm. in the comments. That's how this podcast <laughs> came out. I was like, well, I kind of like it. And you were like, well, I, and I was like, Oh, I see. Oh, 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 this is interesting. This is a discussion. Yeah. So like, there are no places for people to come together and have discussions anymore. Like, mm. like in real life, there's just only like internet. Right. And I'm like, well, what if we created places for people to actually come and discuss? Like, what would that look like? Would it be like dinner, dinners for like people, like a hundred people? I don't know. Like, it's not the view. <laughs> I, know <it's, laughs> I know it's not the view. And I'm like, well, maybe it can be Dream Nation in a different way. Like I, you know, I'm really interested in community and bringing people together and having discussions and like be, like actual discussions.
1: Yeah, social gatherings are, are the key. And that, you know, that that's the thing, right? Is that, you know, the uh, the world was plagued. What was one of the bigger issues was a was ignorance, right? Mm-hmm. Where you just did not know because there was no way to know. So that that was a the underlying problem for a lot of the ills of the world. It's just flat out ignorance. You don't know. Now because we have the internet and we have you know information at our fingertips, the issue is confirmation bias. The issue is you have a thought and you will only seek out things that will confirm what you think, you know, it, it, you think, think about the people that you talk to within a week or a month or whatever, and think about how often they go, oh, yeah, I was wrong about that. Think about how many times we've said it, how many times you've talked to them, oh, you know, don't think about it that way. Almost never, almost never, because of the internet, we just seek out spaces in which like-minded individuals who more than likely look like us say the same thing. It's crazy that, that that's the new issue. So it's not no longer in ignorance. It's confirmation bias.
0: It's so true. Yeah, it's so true. You know, I was just thinking about how does the I don't know if you want to talk about it. You're totally welcome to like I'll edit the podcast too. Mm-hmm. But like, I wonder how the bumpy story works, because I, in my head, I keep on going back to the story. I'm like, so you have the rights to the book and they're using the book. Mm-hmm. how does that work legally
1: <laughs> yeah yeah the, the i will say specifically the the, the issue you're going to have with someone like bumpy johnson you have two things you'll have one side argue like hey this is a person of public domain right you know you, if you wanted you we could hang up this podcast right now and you can do a movie about how Tubman if you wished the issue becomes with bumpy johnson because it's not like there were biographers hanging out and, you know, listening to every word. The issue is that when you get into the story, it's obviously being told by people around him. And there is no other piece of information stronger than Mamie Johnson, Bumpy Johnson's wife's book. There are things in there that that you're not going to find anywhere. And we know that's being used. We know that for a fact, right? So, a lot of times, because uh, you'll see it on the studio level, it's not just individual, studio, network, whatever. They're just going for it. It's like, man, <laughs> we'll fucking, you know, go forward with this project and hopefully no one sues us. Hopefully there's not an issue. And, it, it, you know, and sometimes there are. And sometimes you get into situations where it's like, well, damn, I, I need to go up against this big corporation. And, you know, if you don't have millions of dollars, then it's an issue. But when you have a case like ours, where it's pretty obvious a lot of lawyers will work on a contingency basis because it's like, oh, yeah, this is, this is a simple thing. They're, they're using copyrighted information, um, which they cannot do, so there has to be some sort of settlement. You know. And I know that uh, some people are more than happy with a financial settlement. But for someone like myself, for someone like Anthony Johnson, uh, the other producer is uh, Damon Eden. And actually, we have a huge producer, James Cobstable, who won the Oscar for, winning, uh, for producing Birdman. Oh, yeah. We to, yes. Yeah, we have to work on a couple different things, uh, James and I. Um, for people of luck, it's like it's not about the money. It's about getting the real story out there. Because when you get real stories out there, that's when you have nuance. You know? Atlanta is beloved. Donald Glover's Atlanta is beloved. Because you have three main characters, Donald Glover, Lakeith Stanfield, and by, uh, Brian Tyree Henry. And they are... the all three of them, they're all black, all living in Atlanta, all within whatever, a mile radius, and you could not be more different. Mm-hmm. You're only going to get that from someone like Donald Glover. When I, you see how Donald Glover is, and it's—and they all exist. We all recognize those three characters, but we don't get to see them ever, ever, I, ever, ever.
0: I love that show so much. He blows my mind every time. Yeah, I would love to get him on my podcast. I'm serious. Like, he doesn't really get he's very private. He doesn't give interviews. He's freaking brilliant. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to figure out how to get him on the show. And I'm like, I don't know if I'll ever get him on the show. Because like, I, I like I wouldn't do interviews if I was him. He's not even a social. He doesn't need to be. No. he just he puts out his vision into the world. He makes a statement and that's it. And he gets it's, to have yeah. like an awesome life. And he changed. He creates social impact.
1: Mm hmm. That, that's the way. I, I think we're going to find more people. I think, I, I mean, myself, I considered after this year, disconnecting social media entirely because the, you know, in life there's pros and cons. I would say right now in 2019, there are more cons to being on social media than pros. Yes. It is much easier to take this interview right here, take a sentence, put it out of context and go, woo, Kevin's a racist. He hates <laughs> <laughs> He
0: hates white women. I'm going to put that as my social media post quote, Kevin, (laughs) Kevin, our boy hates white women. Can can I do the whitest thing ever right now? The whitest girl, paper boy, paper boy, I'm all about that paper boy, paper boy, make it rain. Sorry, I had to, I had to, I've been like, I've been like waiting for the moment to like do it on social media. I was like, did I make a little video with like a little banjo just singing all the lyrics? It was just like he's so brilliant,
1: brilliant. But it's it's, we don't get many brilliant people, you know, in the world. And he is super, super brilliant. And yeah, I wouldn't want to put myself out there to be scrutinized, which affects the art, either. Yes, Uh, and that's and that's that's the problem is that you know, a word out of context destroys the art. Who that? ugh. Ugh. I mean, it's it's a very Frustrating time, but it, it is a symptom in which the speed of change is happening. You know, that's what we talked about, where things usually took 10, 20 years. You'll have major shifts inside of six months. You know, what's so funny you even took politics. This is a, this is a whole uh, thing that I love. I love this. Like on a Monday, you'll have someone from a political party give a really great speech. And that Monday, everyone's like, well, Did you hear that speech? Did you hear that speech? Tuesday, there's an article, that person should run for president. Here's why Susan Smith should be president. That's a Tuesday. Wednesday, there's an interview or something that she said that people don't like. And then Wednesday, the article headlines are, hold up, wait, she's not president yet. And by Thursday, she's the devil. <laughs> Thursday, there's nothing but take that article, how horrible she is. You know what I mean? And then Friday comes the apology, where she apologizes for what she said in 2001 about such and such and how she's a different person blah 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 and that's the week and it happens every single week <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> and uh and that's it you know what i mean like it, it's it's a weird time to have a presence online it is it's very weird so anyone who you know does not do it a uh, uh, as much as, you know, look, we hear so many things about Tom Cruise and whatever. What upside would it be for him to post little videos on Instagram or Facebook? Why would he do that? No. What? That's a no. That's a no. <laughs> that's crazy no. And for someone, you know, I am, uh, you can say agnostic, you know, I, I, whatever you want to say, atheist or I grew up in a very religious household. But, you know, people talk about Scientology and this or so that for someone like me. It's hilarious. And I'm like, you, you really think that Christianity isn't as crazy or more crazy than Scientology? Really? You really <laughs> see how nuts it is. Like, that's hilarious to me. Like, you dress up like a wizard and, and you, you, you say the magic words and then you drink some wine, and that's looked at as normal. Really?
0: Headline on Monday Kevin hates Christianity.
1: <laughs> you have the Pope. Who looks like a senator <laughs> from Krypton, and that's not looked at as nuts. Great.
0: And he rides on a he rides on a bulletproof Pokemobile too, and he's got <laughs> shoes custom made by uh, Prada. It's
1: all it's it's all crazy, but it, it's it is an example of what human beings will accept in order to not to feel alone. Uh, I'm not, uh, you know. There's, I think. Listen, in my family, I'm the only person who's agnostic. So, and I have a wonderful family, amazing family. So I get it. But, the, I mean, let's be real. It really just comes down to I want to belong to a certain group. And, and my life is a bit out of control. So I have to believe there's something out there that will help. These are all, those two are very, I, I understand both impulses, you know, intellectually, they make sense. Right. Mm-hmm. But you will take that but, and ignore the, the incredible inconsistencies of logic and common sense, because, again, you just want to belong to a group. So whatever denomination, you know, denomination or, or, or people belong to, of course, when you look at it, you know, with historical facts, science, critical thinking, none of it holds up. None of it. There's not one thing that holds up. But it's like, you know, listen, if if that is making you a better person and you're better for it, fantastic. Go for it.
0: I just never understood why religion and fear have to make you a better person. Like I'm I'm an atheist too, and I'm like, I've been a pretty decent human being all my life. Like I just try not to be a jerk. Sometimes I'm a jerk without knowing it, and if I'm a jerk, somebody's <laughs> like, You're being a jerk and I'm like, Oh my god, I'm being a jerk, I'm so sorry. I also want to ask you one last question too, because I realize it's 5.10 and I only asked for half an hour. My question to you is, you know, back to storytelling, right? How do we make sure that stories are told the right way? Because it also becomes a game of telephone in a weird way, because these are the only stories that we have passed down through the ages. Right. I was actually at the New York and Cafe last Sunday for a production of the new Hamilton. It's kind of like the haunting of Lynn Manuel. It was in the New York Times zone. If you heard about it, but it was like I true, did, yeah, yeah. It was the true story mm-hmm. of Hamilton and how you know he married into the family and like there was still slave trade around. Again, you know, like Hamilton is being told that that's like one part of the story, <laughs> but then there's like the other part of the story and how guilty is Lynn Manuel for uh, whitewashing Hamilton?
1: Mm. Yeah, you know. That's a funny thing. I, I think, I think there's two different things happening. I, I think on the one hand, you have people where you want to tell a specific story. They're not interested in, you know, there's a saying among writers where it's like, don't let facts get in the way of a good story. And that means like there are certain, you know, there are certain things where it's like you can't really confirm a piece of a piece of information or a piece of information will conflict with the overall story so you admit it you omit it or change it and for writings sakes I sure I get that I, 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 I totally get that you know again if we're talking about someone like Alexander Hamilton there might there are people there, there is he, you know there are for George Washington he's a hero for other people you know he's a crazy slave trader you know what I mean and, and both are true. It just depends on the story you want to tell. I think that the difference is when you're talking about more recent history, more recent historical uh, characters, and you're being haphazard in the way in which they are told, then there's the problem. The, the, then there's the obvious problem. You know, the, the the massive difference between Alexander Hamilton and Dr. Shirley, I mean, or, or obvious, you know what I mean? You, you can talk to Dr. Shirley's family. You can talk to... Bumpy Johnson's family you could confirm whatever the case is you know what I mean and I think you know this would have been a very different conversation if Chris Brancato and whoever else was involved in the production reached out to Anthony Johnson or Mamie Johnson or whomever and had a conversation and involved them in the process you know now listen I'm just a creator of a TV show there's no one more important than Anthony Johnson in this story because that's his great grandfather. So he could have chosen to go with Chris Brancato rather than me, and there's no wrong in that. But he just totally left out of the equation. That's where the crime is. And I don't mean crime criminal. I just mean, you know, that's the issue. That's the problem. And we have to stop that. We have to stop mining these stories with a specific agenda that can be very harmful. A movie like Gandhi. Right, we we know that he was a racist. Uh, it was left out of that movie because they wanted to talk about something else.
0: He also he aspect, also like, like insisted on sleeping with like fourteen year old girls in his bed. Yeah, and he also yeah. started like a whole entire like riot that was responsible for many deaths. Sorry, mm-hmm. I just I like I get very 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 intense about Gandhi.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you should because you know we know more things now. I mean, sometimes it really is like. Again, if you're talking about something made in the 80s, we we, we have we can just Google, right? It's right there. Back then, you have to go to many libraries before you find any differing piece of information. Because remember, there, there's, there are probably going to be dozens, and I mean dozens of books in the 70s, 80s, or 60s that talk about Gandhi only in a positive light. And that's the only information you have. It is not until later on... Or, or if you go to a, a certain other author, you get some more information. So that that type of stuff very easily, you know, uh, explained. Wait, well,
0: one more thing about Gandhi. Can I just mention that he also like killed his wife, basically? <laughs> Christ,
1: <laughs> I didn't know so,
0: that. So, okay, so he didn't believe in modern medicine. He was like, no penicillin. No, 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 no. His wife got really sick and needed something like penicillin. I forget what she – like something like modern medicine. And he was like, "No, no, no! She's gonna get through it. We don't believe in modern medicine." Like, uh, she died. He got the same right. thing. He became really, really sick. And they were like, "We have to give you modern medicine." He's like, "Okay, okay, bring it on. Give me <laughs> modern medicine."
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that's not surprising. I mean, we have cases like that now. I mean, we did again to this day. We have people who, you know, will not give their children modern medicine. We listen. This is the exact debate for vaccine yes this this is what it comes down to you have parents who will not vaccinate their children and all of a sudden we have diseases from 100 years ago saying what's up i'm here to wreak some havoc y'all like it's it's you know so that happens now
0: (laughs) kevin hates christianity does not vaccinate his children (laughs) headline on monday
1: Hates white women. You hates, forgot. I
0: forgot I hates white women. I forgot about that <laughs> one. Oh my god. It's true. It's just, it's just this access to information creates so much bad information. This is it, right? Mm-hmm. Access to information creates bad information.
1: Absolutely. But it will shift. And I believe it will shift because we're on stage two where some of the loudest voices are like, kill them, destroy them. They it boomerangs back on them, and they're like, "Wait a minute, maybe we need to be a little bit more thoughtful in the way that we discuss certain issues." I, I do think that there will be there will be the change because there's too much collateral damages. It's it's too it's too wild. Everyone is like, if you if you have not been a perfect person from birth till now, then you're fucked. It, you know what I mean? Like the fact that people are taking. You know, there is no differentiation between monsters and people who said something off-color 15 years ago.
0: Kevin Hart. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, that's the thing where it's like, look, within the black community, historically, homophobia ran rampant. That That's just the reality. Uh, a combination because but it, a lot of it is religion, right? A lot of it. Um, and a lot of it is... Uh, the idea you have to be a certain type of strong black person to exist in this world, and that does not include homosexuals uh, it 's been changing a lot, especially among younger uh, black people but that 's something that like homophobia is so rampant in the black community it just it just is you know or what I should say was um, it 's getting a lot lot better, but at the same time it 's like hey man. <laughs> That's, uh, we've all, the, the amount of, I'm looking back at myself, maybe 2010, 2009. When I say unrecognizable, yeah, unrecognizable. But, but by the way, that's the way it's supposed to be. How in the world are you going to be a decent human being in this world if you have the same thoughts as you did when you were 30 versus 40?
0: That's, maybe, maybe if you were written as a character by a white woman. In a movie and you had no story arc. See how I bring that background? That's that's You brought
1: it back. I brought it back. That's a bookend. You bookended this I, whole podcast.
0: I just I did. You know, I'm really good at that because I work in advertising. It just happens like naturally. Like the copywriter in me just goes rip, puts a little bow on it.
1: <laughs>
0: but yeah, I, so my my last question to all the guests is I'm gonna bookend it, right? I'm still I'm gonna double bookend it.
1: <laughs> it's
0: uh What's your dream as an adult?
1: Now it's to expand the industry. Uh, my my work has shifted to a place, and again, I'm I'm 41 and I've been doing this for a while, but just recently, my goal has completely shifted because I grew up watching Spielberg, you know, Dick Donner, Nora Ephron, Mike Nichols movies. I was just trying to make that, and there was just a reality where. Studios networks are like, listen, if we're gonna hire a black dude, what's the point of hiring a black dude that creates something that any white guy could do? Right? Whether that's wrong or right, but that's that's the thing. But now it is I want to create a rich and vibrant industry for people of color. So when it's time to do an indie movie and you know, there's a budget of three million or four minor five million, and you're talking about foreign sales, the conversation doesn't just end with Denzel Washington or Will Smith. Because that's what always happens. Like, oh, we'd want to do it, but, you know, foreign sales-wise, you know, this person doesn't sell overseas. We can't do it overseas. You know, I want that to be dead completely. I want to be able to, like, listen, I want this to star Octavia Spencer because her last movie made $120 million because she was allowed to do some very commercial thing, you know. That's what I want. I, I want a rich and vibrant community. You know, that, that is very, very important to me. I
0: love it. That's a beautiful dream, and it's going to be a reality. And it already is. It's already happening.
1: It is. There's a lot of people. Since I moved to Los Angeles, I have to say, the amount of people that have selflessly tried to help me and put me in a different position is unbelievable. I've been here now six months. People who I do not know who are, who are actively trying to put me in a different position. It's unbelievable. That's so you're
0: amazing. right. Yeah, LA is good. Like LA can be really hard, but it can be really great too, because there are a lot of amazing people out there.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And I really love talking to you and, uh, and keep in touch. Thank you. All right. Bye. Thanks for tuning into the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Dream Nation Love. It's not Dream Nation Podcast, it's Dream Nation Love because I think my single mission in life is to teach people how to love a little bit more and together we can save the world. So it's Dream Nation Love, share it with your friends, have a great day and go out and make the world a better place.